Welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets and electricals on Resonance FM 104.4. This is a different show because, unlike most, we don't focus on all those shiny, shiny new things we're supposed to buy. We focus on the value and the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London called Restart Parties are just the beginning. My name is Janet Gunter from the Restart Project, and I'm joined by Ugo Volaudi, my partner in crime, and Alison, uh, founder of the Good Life Center and host of London's only repair cafe. Hello. Um, in this episode, we're going to talk to uh, Alison about DIY, fixing, um, what people know about electricity, all kinds of things, and what brought her um, to getting into teaching and, and learning in this area. And then we're going to talk about two related stories um, that caught our attention this week. But uh, So, Alison, tell us about the Good Life Center. It's a workshop. It's a learning center. It's not very far from where we're sitting right now in Borough. Mm, it's around the corner, and it will be around the corner in Great Guildford Street come January. Um, we offer workshops in basic DIY, including electrics, basic electrics and basic plumbing. Um, and that sort of broadened out into woodwork and upholstery and just learning how to make stuff. Yeah, and your business has grown, and we've known you a couple of years, but your business has grown dramatically. Um, what do you think drives people to want to, to you know, to attend your workshops? And, to, and, they, and they pay. They, it's it's, um, it's, it's you know, a business. It's a business. There you go. You've made a real business of it, which is really exciting. What, what's driving the demand, as it were? I think people are getting uh, frustrated that they don't know how to actually do things themselves and maybe it's a, a disconnect between living in new bills um, owned by landlords and feeling as though they can't get their deposit back if they touch anything uh, and so the freedom to tinker um, is kind of taken away from people and in fear of not knowing how to do it properly they come along to learn how to do things and have more confidence to do basic stuff in the home. And um, so tell us a little bit about your background and how you got confident in, in electricals, electricity, DIY. I, I think one of my formative experiences was um, restoring my doll's house when I was a child. And I always wanted electrics in my doll's house, actually. And the closest I ever got to it was I lit a birthday candle and shut it inside the door. And for a few beautiful <laughs> seconds before the blistered paintwork started on the ceiling, um, I saw lights in my doll's house. And then I had to re paint the ceiling <laughs> okay so but that, that was um you were were you encouraged at all to tinker or to experiment with as I, a kid I, uh, I think I was uh, left alone I think my mother said my first phrase was me do it um and <laughs> so I was a difficult child but I took hold of my dad's drill um because I was impatient about waiting for some shelf to be put up in my room when I was about 12 or 13. Uh, and I particularly liked it. I plugged it in and I liked the sparks that came out of it the best. Um, it was later <laughs> that I actually discovered it probably wasn't in the best condition. Yeah. But it did the job. You know, and uh, I just sort of um, persevered from there. I went to college, um, uh, did three-dimensional design, learned how to make furniture. Um, and just I love the process of materials Materials and processes are really what drive me. And so I'm fascinated with what the material is and what you can do with it. And you've worked, and you haven't just worked with uh, furniture, houses, DIY. You've worked with other quite um, luxury materials as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, somehow or other I stumbled into um, uh, being a designer at uh, Tiffany in New York. Uh, and that led to um, an interest in well, silver as a material, which is quite fascinating. Mm. And uh, I was part of a, um, a team that 
launched a, a complete set of flatware, including 56 originals, and being flown up to the factory in Massachusetts and watching silver cutlery being made was just one of the highlights of my so-called career. Wow, wow. And um, so the new space you're moving into, this is kind of brings me to this, this issue of like skills and industry and what's been lost a little bit. So the new space you're working, you're moving into was an old, is an old factory. Um, tell us a little bit more about this space. Um, it, yeah, it's a great old space. It's, it's, um, it was built in 1956, and uh, we've been lucky to um, take it on. Um, unusually, I am supplying all the electrics, and uh, we're completely rewiring it, which means that it's going to be purpose-built for our use, which is genius. Um, and I've been very lucky to... I, I work with a f- fantastic team, and um, the people on the site doing the stuff are all my tutors. In fact, including the electrician who... Um, it wasn't a tutor until he came and looked at the job and saw what we did and said, you know what, I would love to teach here. And I said, you got the job. <laughs> so not only is he going to re- rewire it, but he's going to be teaching at That's the centre too. So I was wondering, what are the uh, skills that are most in demand that people come to you and queue in order to learn? Um, the Without a doubt, the DIY skills um, is the most popular. We've actually just added another electrics course because we've run them virtually every week for the last month or so and they just fill out the minute we start them. Um, it, and But m- people want to know how to use a drill, how to drill into walls, surfaces, um, what their plumbing is doing. I mean, I just think it's household maintenance. You know, sort of yeah. It's just, just taking care of stuff, this diminishing idea of being able to get someone to come in and do stuff for you the um the diminishment of the handyman which has actually been in discussion since Hmm. the early 20th century there's nothing new in my old books you know and i guess it's funny because you know part of the work that we do at restart parties can be leapfrogged in a sense you know i can do lots of digital things but I wouldn't know how to do a lot of more simple in theory or more complicated in practice DIY things. So there's a disconnect, I think. We've concentrated so much on software and little fixes, but we miss the basics, myself included. But I've been with you at restart parties at the, uh, and repair cafes, and one of the things that people start off being frightened of is actually getting into that machine. And so opening up the vacuum cleaner and opening up the toaster has become kind of a taboo subject. So you're going to enter some mysterious portal and die. Um, and what we've shown them is, by and large, if you're not plugged in, you're not going to do any damage to yourself. Yeah. yeah, and so what? So tell us a little bit about what you teach in the electrics course, because I think it might be interesting for people listening. Like, yeah, there's um, what we teach, and it always horrifies electricians, but it's of no fear to the electrical trade, I assure you. It's what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do, um, and basically what you're allowed to do is anything this side of the wall. And so what people come to us to want to know how to do is to change a, a pendant, a ceiling pendant, because now modern lights are sold with the um, pendant the rose and so therefore getting up getting dirty inside and knowing what to do with that tangle of wires that you find um inside the light you changing um switch plates is very common um, yeah people bring those to restart parties quite frequently yeah. as well yeah. yeah okay um yeah we definitely obviously um do a lot to well to teach about safety but also just to calm people's fears because it does feel like um there was a time in this country i I wouldn't know you can tell by my accent that there but there was a time in this country when they did teach you how to change a plug and they taught you know how to rewire a plug and apparently these things are kind of disappearing from 
Well, see, my, my ancient memory mm. will tell you that what the, um, when you bought a, fr- a fridge from the London Electricity Board, um, one of their taglines was the plug is free with the LEB. So they actually gave you a plug when you mm. bought a fridge and you were expected to do it. And in my childhood, mm. there was always one less fr- um, plug than there was items for it to go into. So we were constantly stealing. I was stealing the plug from my sister's hairdryer in order to use it for my rollers. Oh, or and just rewiring like it like uh, that. Just constantly. So, wow. so and then she would find that she wanted to use the hairdryer and just steal it back. So it was, you got pretty fast. Wow, that wow. is, if you think about how, like, how, how things have changed. And we have people coming to events who like literally haven't even checked the fuse, mm. you know, in, in devices. It's just kind well, of... Somebody phoned me mm. up and said, um, I've got a I've got a lamp, I've got a light, and it doesn't work, so I'm going to throw it away. I wondered if you wanted it. And I said, you have missed a sentence in the middle of that there, which is, I've tried to fix it. And she said, I wouldn't even know how to do that. So I suggested that she brought it along to our class, and um, we would have a look at it in the basic electrics class. And I gave my usual capitalist rider, which was, if we fixed it, I kept the light. Um, (laughs) And we did. Did you keep it? I got the light. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that about lamps because um, I was looking at some of our statistics about what we repair and, you know, what people bring. And our obviously our success rate fixing lamps is, you know, astronomical. Mm. We fix the lamps people bring because it's, you know, they're simple jobs usually. Yep. Um, but people bring a lot. And they there's a real, like, I would say emotional attachment people have with bed, the bedside lamp. I wasn't entirely aware of this until we started. Irrespectively of the design, some of them mm-hmm. might not mean much to us. Mm. Other people, but it means a lot to the person that owns it. But it's but it's interesting, electrical and otherwise. It's like it's when people come to repair events. It is their attachment to things, which is actually quite touching, isn't it? It's like sort of that. Well, I had someone phone me up uh, talking about a washing machine, um, and she said, "But it's mine. I've had it twenty years." And I said, "You know, the problem is they probably don't make that part anymore." Yeah. Oh, mm. she said, "I really, I, re- I love my machine. I've had it since I was married." And she mm. didn't want to, you know. That's an excellent maybe uh, transition into um, one of the pieces that we wanted to talk about today. So before then, I'll just remind everybody that you're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. And this is Restart Radio, a different show about gadgets and electricals. And um, one of the pieces we wanted to talk about um, this afternoon was a piece actually of a journalist friend of ours who's based in China, I believe, sent to us from his hometown um, in Minnesota. And it's about... Um, the kind of evolution or the life story of this um, appliance repairman. And it was really, um, Alison, you've lived for at least a decade in the U.S., so this is a very iconic brand in the in the U.S., the Maytag um, brand, which is, you were saying, it would be equivalent to, in the U.K., though, maybe West... West or oh, Westinghouse. Westinghouse, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of a classic old brand. And Growing up in the U.S. in the 80s, we, you know, there was this, there was almost this figure of the Maytag man, and he was kind of, they didn't just market the appliance itself; they marketed kind of that relationship that you'd have with the, with the well, the repairman or the guy who would service the machine. Yeah, it's support, isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. that whole principle of the idea you were buying into something where you could be know the fact that you were going to get your wash done. You know, it's a very basic need. Exactly. So this um, this character, um, Kramer, Kramer, yeah, what's he yeah, called? Kramer. Uh, Mark Kramer. Yeah, um, it reminds a little bit of Seinfeld, but yep. he's, he's not he's not the Kramer of Seinfeld. <laughs> he's um, he's what you might expect. Um, in terms of uh, his appearance, he looks like a repair guy. Um, he apparently spends uh, 12 hours a day um, going back and forth all over the Minneapolis, I believe, Minneapolis area, yeah. um, fixing machines. And um, 
It's really interesting, though, because um, he started out, obviously, with Maytag, with the brand, you know, part of their service um, and part of and actually selling, I believe. He yeah, sold in machines. fact, in, in, it's interesting mm -hmm. that in the old days, he was already trying to educate people, spend that 20, 30 extra bucks, dollars and get something that will last much longer. Mm. So, so it was yeah. part of educating on durability of products just sure. back in the early days. And, he's and in a sense, he's still doing that. So they quote him in this piece and he says, the new machines, they might have twice the features at maybe half the price. Um, oh dear, I've just but lost. they last. Yeah, and he says, the but the machines um, these days um, they don't last, and so he really encourages people to stick with that twenty-year-old um, appliance. And um, I think there's uh, he so he, now he works independent. He drives around town in his own little branded um, car, right. his yeah. business, um, and he says he only knows about a dozen people that do what he does. Um, he's busy from dawn to dusk. Um, but it, it did say he's a, he's single and he you know he throws his whole life and soul into his business and I guess in a way you question it had me questioning like is he almost like a I, I could, Mad Max is not the right per person but is he like a is this kind of a is this a end of like dystopian scenario where there's only a couple of these people who are out doing the right thing or is he actually in a sense represent something that will reemerge that will flourish again. What do you guys I, think? I hope that well, I hope that he's a, a, a seed of something that could cluster together because you know I I think that's a, the basis of a um, a brilliant service um, it, and I could go online and actually find one of him to do one of that sort of uh, mm -hmm. somewhere then I could get somebody in. And I guess the question think? is at the moment often we are in a situation where we can't find one of them. Um, and so that's why people come and queue at our events. Mm. And I guess you've had the same, same mm. experience running the repair cafes. Mm. And you'd like to be able to point people, to point people to uh, characters like him uh, who can help if something needs repairing straight away and cannot wait for a community repair event. But it's not always easy. I mean, here he works on white goods and white goods, there seems to, to still be mm quite an economic uh, incentive to do that for, uh, I mean, there's money to be made. But for lots of other devices, we find that it it just simply seems not to work um, financially from what we hear. Yeah, there's a sliding scale of it being worthwhile, isn't there? And you can see your um, uh, washing machine as being something that's worth going. But it is that £15 lamp from the Swedish flat pack company that was difficult to kind of... Although with with the um, the fifteen pound lamp, uh, you don't necessarily need specialized spare parts. Whereas, and I think increasingly, uh, white goods and, and cars, increasingly things are becoming computers. Also, it's not just the spare parts; it's that you it's, have to. It's the sealed unit as well go. as we know. It's like it's that mysterious box. But when people, um, I try and recruit. Um, anybody handy to come and help at a repair cafe um, or we're going to call them repair events in the next um, uh, place because we want to open it up to a much uh, bigger sort of idea. Um, but I think it's also about teaching people the mindset, which is the repair. Now, I'm not an expert on, well, I don't think I'm an expert on anything, but the um, I have the confidence to know that 
um, I can undo something and take things apart. And maybe that's the culture that we've lost as well. Or also hacking and repurposing. Like I remember, so I took my suitcase once to the repair cafe. Same here. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, it, I remember when it's Scott, who we now know, he actually works in our workspace and runs the workshops there. And I remember when Scott, he took... Uh, he well, he drilled a hole in the plastic, and then he took some. I don't know where he got it, but some very robust um, wire, like really strong wire, and he just kind of, he essentially he sewed it back together with this wire. And I just never seen anyone with such confidence in material to be able to be like, this is what you know, this material will resist this. This is the right material, and it was like it was a bit mind blowing that I had a. It's just plastic. It's just a drill, but that it hadn't occurred to me to try and. It, mm. it was like that I was so almost alienated from the actual thing that I owned mm. that I, I didn't have that feeling of ownership in a mm. way. I guess that's the big difference between electronics and other products because, you know, I have same memory of Scott holding a hammer and going for my suitcase and fixing the uh, extended wheel uh, holder uh, that way. But certainly that would not be applicable to a yeah. projector or a laptop. And I guess <laughs> that's why people are so scared because they think they're going to destroy it further, which might happen if you put too much pressure. But I guess one of the things that you're saying that resonates with me is the teaching the mindset or sharing the mindset. And um, We had one participant to a recent event who had brought a um, six-year-old laptop, uh, desktop actually, computer, very tiny and very beautifully designed. You can guess the brand. And it was very hard to open it and to upgrade the memory. But as a result of that experience, he was then telling me that he probably would not buy such a computer anymore because he realizes when it needs servicing, it's really not doable by a normal person. So appreciating you know, what kind of aspirational design to look forward to for the next future purchase. So what do you think about products like Fairphone in terms <laughs> of these um, products that are actually coming out now with that idea of being modular and replaceable? Well, we certainly uh, appreciate the huge steps they've covered with the new uh, second version of their phone. Uh, we took it apart uh, oh, at a launch event and we were amazed at how you can you know, swap a broken screen for a new screen without even needing a screwdriver. You just slide out the screen, which is quite magical. But I guess that it raises questions around what is the future for manufacturers like uh, Fairphone and others in terms of how do you sustain mm -hmm. yourself? And mm -hmm. we were talking to them about this and they are very open to... Uh, discover and explore whether their future is based on um, selling future spare parts to you that will cover future costs. So sort of a maybe a subscription that will allow you to access parts and maybe future software updates Absolutely. for many I, years to yeah, come. I would like a, a, a phone certainly, but a, um, I've thought about a very basic washing machine. Go back to washing machines again. I, I because when I my most recent place I live in, I chose a very very basic washing machine instead of the one with the electronic panel. I got one which is so analog as much as I can. It's not caused me a day's problem in the period of time that I've had it and I and it and it tends to get clothes clean 
you know, so it tends to be which you know, was the original the kind purpose. of one of the one of the purposes yeah. that um, that I wanted it for. And so I like the idea that I could actually upgrade that to maybe a a dryer timer if I wanted such a thing. And I, therefore, I could choose how luxe I made it or how basic I kept it, and therefore personalize it because I think that's the other thing that I think would be perfect for all phones. And if you happen to be a sort of person who might drop your phone, maybe you might like a design that would actually be able to withstand dropping it. I know it's a bit radical. But. Well, we were just reading. It's not part of our selection of news for this week, but we were reading about um, new innovation in screens for smartphones, actually. Not Fairphone in this case. It's actually Motorola, how they designed a phone that allegedly has a shatterproof screen mm. made of plastic, a special type of plastic. And, you know, maybe we're obsessing over shattered screens, but the solution might come mm. from someone who makes a screen of a different material that cannot be broken. Of I don't know if that is the case. And, but and I know that you, I don't have it with me today, but uh, um, as you know, I've got a, a Nokia, which I know and love. And people actually, when they see me drop it, go, oh no. And then it just splits into its three components. I put it back together and yeah, reset the date beautiful. and off I go. Well, this is a great also conversation to transition into the last piece of news that we wanted to talk about, which is, um, which is uh, in a sense, uh, it's a piece that, compares and contrasts um, the world of kind of grassroots innovation and um, it uses it talks about um, the proof of concept uh, innovation camp that was run uh, near Paris a couple of um, a couple of weeks uh, months ago with the climate change talks which are about to happen in Paris and it's a kind of interesting um, juxtaposition I mean on one hand, the proof of concept POC 21 um, came up with some really interesting kind of open designs. So things like um, a shower that will uh, recycle gray water um, or a tractor that you can make yourself. And the design is totally open. So it's a little bit along the lines of what you're talking about, Alison. But the question, I suppose, is yeah, how much needs to come from above, right? So how much needs to come from the guys in suits and manufacturers, governments, and how much can we actually really push from below? And, you know, the example of the proof of concepts, not the only one they discuss there, they talk about, we, we, we um, at the same conference that this piece is about, we met uh, people from Open Energy Monitor, which is a really interesting project um, to allow people to, you know, measure and, and um, reduce their energy use. Um, again, everything's open, the software's open, the hardware's open. Um, and uh, hearing from Fab Labs in Barcelona and in Scotland, um, it's really interesting to hear how something really is bubbling up. But the question is, like, what is the balance? Is it enough for us just to change our own behavior here and, you know, repair things, teach repair skills? What's the balance there? Yeah, I think it's, it's a very difficult question because certainly, you know, it, there isn't just one out of all these projects that you mentioned that needs to scale massively and be the solution. I guess we like the spillover approach where something inspires something else and it can grow to inspire someone else to do something uh, again more refined. But at the same time, we need to avoid living in the bubble thinking that if we run 100 repair events a week in London, then all problems about durability of products are fixed. Or the climate. I or mean, the climate. Yeah. Or, or to take another example, which, which had a kind of uh, grassroots um, start and that the then government did respond to, is that um, votes for women were given to women, first of all, with property and then to women 
of over 30 and then it reduced down but kind of promoted by the people themselves doing it for themselves i don't think Mm. votes were given to women. No, no, they definitely I think fought, they fought for, for it. it. Also, even recycling, and people always forget that, but uh, recycling started in, in a, as a grassroots activity. You know, it, w- it wasn't always managed by these big companies and by our local authorities. Which actually raises the question, well, is the scale-up of these activities done by the people in suits, so to say, actually given justice to the original purpose and representing at scale the ethos, which is... Oh, they can take the credit. I don't mind what they do with it. Just do it. But we, there is a role for the grassroots to also continue to like push them and make sure they're staying true to the... To the yeah to to what the original intent well, was, which was like efficiency it, it's and it's true. Planet and and the, you know. in America, the sanitation yeah. police are armed. You know, sort of so you know, bring you know, come out with your cans up. It's what they say in New York. You know, <laughs> but at wow. the same time, That's a bit you know, we have seen the emergence of you know ideas that were about reusing and that turn into European legislation. That that's a usual old story. You know, preventing. Uh, each brand of mobile phones to sell proprietary chargers, for example. You know, these things, if we keep pushing, there's a lot more than in terms of um, EU regulations on more modular design can actually bring benefits so that we don't have to fight exactly just for that. Mm. But there's always going to be more than the grassroots can anticipate and share, hoping to inspire in the right way people who make more broad decisions. Well, we were discussing the overfull small electrical re, um, recycling unit in the lo- in the road locally. Um, yeah, in fact, it's I, not far from here. Uh, yeah. I think it would be quite good if that was a thing of history. We could tell our grandchildren that we had, there used to be those. But I wonder if they don't keep it full so that the amount they collect isn't limited. Well, I mean, I hope that there's a lot of things that we will tell, well, uh, our, you know, the, the, those that come after. Uh, I think we're actually living in a real, like, we're living in, in a sense, like in a moment of extraordinary waste. Um, and I, you know, I, I think it's important that we focus on kind of embodying and, and making real what will, what will be normal in a sense. Like I think none of us think that we're actually innovators in a sense. We actually just think that we're maybe just slightly a bit early or we're maybe a bit late, depending on your perspective, but, mm. but that this is an extraordinarily strange moment actually Hmm. and that actually what we're doing is not at all innovative it's just common sense you know and i think we should like the other thing last point i wanted to 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 bring up is that um here in talking about you know the impact of 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 bottom-up initiatives community initiatives um they very much emphasize that that network the network effect is really important and you know it's funny how like we've known you allison for a couple of years and we all we we all in a sense know each other. Those of us who are working in the same space, here I was just we thinking, cooperate. I was just thinking the same thing is that I come from a background. I'm old, I'm old enough to um, expect that business should be competitive and certainly keeping your ideas to yourself. And the first time I, uh, I think someone must have shared something with me that I saw the concept of this extraordinary kind of open source of information. Um, and what I've discovered is what you've all taught me is that it gets things done. It's like it's remarkable how much more a result you get from just collaborating in this way and so I think the network will join together very quickly once we adopt this idea rather than competition yeah no it's it's encouraging um just the question is you know well we'll we'll figure out whether we can network enough to to change what's above those of us those above us those supposedly representing us and um and just and to make a big enough difference in time yeah I think 
a lot of us, including ourselves maybe at times, we, we still, although we understand the sense of urgency, particularly in regards with the connection with climate change, I think there's still quite a huge disconnect with the practicality of the day-to-day life. You know, people don't make the connection so much about whether extending the lifespan of their laptop is actually in tune with the devastating news we hear about what will happen in 10, 15 years in terms of a climate. Let's just clean up our street and see what happens. Yeah, no, yeah. and that's that's what we can all do is if we start, if we act locally, but in a network, we're going to have a huge impact. Well, that's all the time we have today to talk about all these weighty topics. Just to say that we have a restart party on Saturday in Wilson Green Library, so check that out. You can find information about our events on our website, uh, therestartproject.org, or find us on Twitter and Facebook. And we're live here every week, uh, every Tuesday, on Resonance 104.4 FM at 1.30 p.m. Until next week. Thanks, everybody.